102. High storm coming. To humans, our very visages become symbols. You find echoes of it even in the art from centuries before this return. Musings of L on the first of the final ten days. There was a long line at the oath gates today, but that was nothing new. Raboniel was certain the human kingdoms knew of the occupation by now, and so had authorized the oath gates to be opened more frequently, allowing singer troops and servants occupying the tower to rotate out. Then these group of fifteen friends huddled behind her, holding their supplies, hopefully appearing to be merely another batch of workers given a chance to return to Kolinar for a break. Venli pulled her coat tight against the wind. Listeners didn't get as cold as humans seemed to, but she could still feel the bite of the wind, particularly since this form had carapace only as ornamentation, not true armor. She wasn't completely certain what to do after reaching Kolinar. Raboniel's writ would certainly get her people out of the city, and even out of Alethkar. But Venli couldn't wait the weeks or months it would take for them to walk to the shattered plains. She had to find out if her mother was still alive. How far would the power of the writ go? Raboniel was feared, respected. Could Venli get her entire team of fifteen flown to that scout post via Heavenly One? Her mind spun with lies about a secret mission from Raboniel at the Shattered Plains. Indeed, it wasn't too far from the truth. Raboniel had all but commanded her to go investigate the listener remnants. And what then? Venli thought. Raboniel knows about them. She knows I'm going. She's manipulating me. For what end? It didn't matter. Venli had to go. It was time. Timber pulsed softly as she stood in the line, map case over her shoulder, trying to ignore the wind. Are you disappointed in me? Venli whispered to Conceit. For leaving Relaine and the humans? Timber pulsed. Yes, she was. The little spren was never afraid to be straight with Venli. What do you expect me to do? She whispered, turning her head away from Dull so he wouldn't hear her talking. Help with their insane plan? He'll get all those radiants killed. Besides, you think I'd be any help to them? Timber pulsed. Venley was doing well, learning. She could help. If I weren't a coward, Venley thought. What if we got you a different host? A singer who cares, like Relaine? Timber pulsed. What do you mean? Venley demanded. You can't want me. I'm an accident, a mistake. Another pulse. Mistakes can't be wonderful, Timber. That's what defines them as mistakes. She pulsed, more confident. How could she be more confident with each complaint? Stupid spren. And why wasn't this line moving? The transfers should be quick. They needed to exchange people and supplies before the high storm arrived. Venley told her people to wait, then stepped out of line. She marched to the front, where a couple of singers, formerly Azish by their clothing, were arguing. What is it? Venley demanded to Craving. 
the two took in her regal form, then the female answered, We have to wait to perform the exchange chosen, she said, using an old formal singer term. The human who works the oath gates for us has run off. No one else has a living blade, which is needed to operate the fabrial now, the other explained. If you could find the one they call Vire and ask when he will return. Venley glanced toward the sky. She could feel the wind picking up. The high storm is nearly here. We should move everyone inside. The two argued at first, but Venley spoke more firmly. Soon they started herding the frustrated singers toward the tower. Venley walked along the plateau, timber pulsing excitedly. She saw this as an opportunity. Why do you believe in me? Venley whispered. I've given you no reason. I've ruined everything I've touched. I'm a selfish, impotent, sorry excuse for a listener. Timber pulsed. Venley had saved her. Venley had saved Lyft. Yes, but I had to be coaxed into both, Venley said. I'm not a hero. I'm an accident. Timber was firm. Some people charged toward the goal, running for all they had. Others stumbled. But it wasn't the speed that mattered. It was the direction they were going. Venley lingered at the entrance to Eurothiru. She hesitated, glancing over her shoulder. The previous high storm had reached all the way past the sixth tier. This one would likely envelop nearly the entire tower. A rare occurrence, their scholars thought. She felt as if she could sense the power of it, the fury bearing down on them. What if, she whispered to Timber. I offered to use this writ to smuggle Stormblest or his family out of Eurothiru. Timber pulsed uncertainly. Would the writ's authority extend that far? Venley thought perhaps it would. She wouldn't be able to get any of the unconscious radiance out. They were too closely watched. And someone would send to Raboniel for confirmation. But a few random humans? That might work. She found Dull and the others inside the front doors. Venley gathered them around, away from prying ears, and quickly handed her writ to Mazish. Take this, Venley said. If I don't return, you should be able to use it to get away. Without you, Mazish said. Venley, I'll almost certainly return. Venley said. But just in case, take the map too. You'll need it to find your way to the other listeners in secret. Where are you going? Dool asked. Venley hummed to the lost. I think we should offer to bring the surgeon and his family, including their son, the Windrunner, out with us. Help them escape the tower. Take them to their own people at the Shattered Plains. She watched them, expecting fear, perhaps condemnation. This would jeopardize their safety. Instead, as a group, they hummed to consideration. Having a wind runner on our side could be useful, Mazish said. He could certainly help us get to the Shattered Plains quicker. Yes, said Schumann, the new recruit, still a little too eager for Venley's taste. 
This is a great idea. Would he help us, though? Dole asked. He treated Relaine well, Mazish said, even when he thought Relaine was only another parchment. I don't like what the humans did, but if we put this one in our debt, my gut says he won't betray us. Venley scanned the other faces. Singers with a variety of skin patterns, now humming a variety of rhythms. None of them hummed to betrayal, and they gave her encouraging nods. Very well, Venley said. Wait for me until the storm has passed. If I've not returned by then, take the next Oathgate transfer to Kolinar. I'll find you there. They hummed at her words, so Venley started toward the atrium, hoping she'd be quick enough to stop Berlaine from trying his desperate plan. She didn't know for certain if he'd take her offer, but this was the direction she should be moving. Navani knelt on the floor of her office. It still smelled of smoke from the explosion the day before. Despite Raboniel saying she wanted to scrape the chamber for broken pieces of the dagger, no one arrived to do that. They hadn't taken her to her rooms above. They hadn't brought her meals. They'd simply left her alone to contemplate her utter failure. She felt numb. After her previous failure, when she'd exposed the node to her enemies, she'd picked herself up and moved on. This time, she felt stuck, worn, like an old banner left too long exposed to the elements, ripped by storms, bleached by the sun, now hanging in tatters, waiting to slip off the pole. We can kill Radiant Spren. In the end, all Raboniel's talk of working together had been a lie. Of course it had. Navani had known it would be. She'd planned for it and tried to hide what she knew. But had she really expected that to work? She'd repeatedly confirmed to herself that she couldn't outthink the fused. They were ancient capable beyond mortal understanding, beings outside of time and, and, and she kept staring at the place where Raboniel's daughter had died, where Raboniel had wept, holding the corpse of her child. Such a human moment. Navani curled up on her pallet, though sleep had eluded her all night. She had spent the hours listening to the fused in the hallway, playing notes on metal plates and demanding new ones, until one final sound had echoed against the stone hallways. A chilling, awful sound that was wrong in all the right ways. Raboniel had found the tone. The tone that could kill Spren. Should Navani feel pride? Even in that time of near madness, her research had been so meticulous and well annotated that Raboniel was able to follow it. What had taken Navani days, the fused replicated in hours, breaking open a mystery that had stood for thousands of years. Evidence that Navani was a true scholar, after all? No, she thought, staring at the ceiling. No, don't you dare take that distinction for yourself. If she'd been a scholar, she'd have understood the implications of her work. She was a child playing dress-up again. A farmer could stumble across a new plant in the wilderness. 
Did that make him a botanist? She eventually forced herself up to do the only thing she was certain she couldn't ruin. She found ink and paper in the wreckage of the room, then knelt and began to paint prayers. It was partially for the comfort of familiarity, but storm her, she still believed. Perhaps that was as foolish as thinking herself a scholar. Who did she think was listening? Was she only praying because she was afraid? Yes, she thought, continuing to paint. I'm afraid. And I have to hope that someone somewhere is listening. That someone has a plan. That it all matters somehow. Yasna took comfort in the idea that there was no plan. That everything was random. She said that a chaotic universe meant the only actions of actual importance were the ones they decided were important. That gave people autonomy. Navani loved her daughter, but couldn't see it the same way. Organization and order existed in the very way the world worked. From the patterns on leaves, to the system of compounds and chemical reactions, it all whispered to her. Someone had known anti-void light was possible. Someone had known Navani would create it first. Someone had seen all this, planned for it, and put her here. She had to believe that. She had to believe, therefore, that there was a way out. Please, she prayed, painting the glyph for divine direction. Please, I'm trying so hard to do what is right. Please guide me. What do I do? A voice sounded outside the room, and in her sleep-deprived state, she first mistook it for a voice speaking to her in answer. And then, then she heard what it was saying. The best way to distract the bondsmith is to kill his wife, the voice said, rough, cold. I am therefore here to perform the act that you have so far refused to do. Navani stood and walked to the door. Her female and guard was someone new, but she didn't forbid Navani from peering down the hall toward Raboniel's workstation beside the sibling's shield. A man in a black uniform stood before Raboniel, neat, close-cropped black hair, a narrow, hawkish face with a prominent nose and sunken cheeks. Moash, the murderer. I continue to have use for the queen. Raboniel said. My orders are from Odium himself, Moash said. If a fused's voice was overly ornamented with rhythms and meaning, his voice was the opposite, dead, a voice like slate. He ordered you to come to me, Vire, Raboniel said, and I requested for you to be sent. So today, I need you to deal with my problems first. There is a worm in the tower, eating his way through walls. He is increasingly an issue. I warned you about Stormblessed, Moash said. I warned all of you, and you did not listen. You will kill him, Raboniel said. No enemy can kill Kaladin Stormblessed, Moash said. You promised that no enemy can kill Stormblessed. Moash said. He is a force like the storms, and you cannot kill the storms, Fused. 
Raboniel handed Moash something, a small dagger. You speak foolishness. A man is merely a man, no matter how skilled. That dagger can destroy his spren. Spread that sand, and it will turn faintly white when an invisible spren flies overhead. Use it to locate his honor spren, then strike at it, depriving him of power. I can't kill him, Moash repeated a third time, tucking the dagger away. But I promise something better. We make this a covenant, Fused. I ruin Stormblessed, leave him unable to interfere, and you deliver me the queen. Accepted? Navani felt herself grow cold. Raboniel didn't even glance in her direction. Accepted, Raboniel said. But do another thing for me. The pursuer has been sent to destroy the final node. But I think he is delaying to encourage Stormbless to show up and fight him for it. Break the node for me. Moash nodded and accepted what seemed to be a small diagram explaining the location of the node. He turned on his heel with military precision and marched up the hallway. If he saw her, he made no comment, passing like a cold wind. Monster, Navani said. Anger spread at her feet. Traitor! You would attack your own friend? He stopped short. Staring straight ahead, he spoke. Where were you, light eyes, when your son condemned innocence to death? He turned, affixing Navani with those lifeless eyes. Where were you, queen, when your son sent Roshone to Kaladin's hometown? A political outcast, a known murderer, exiled to a small village where he couldn't do any damage, right? Rashon killed Kaladin's brother. You could have stopped it, if any of you cared. You were never my queen. You are nothing to me. You are nothing to anyone. So don't speak to me of treason or friendship. You have no idea what this day will cost me. He continued forward, bearing no visible weapon save the dagger tucked into his belt. A dagger designed to kill a spren, a dagger that Navani had essentially created. He reached the end of the hallway, burst alight with stormlight, which somehow worked for him, and streaked into the air, rising through the open stairwell toward the ground floor. Navani slumped in the doorway objections withering in her throat. She knew he was wrong, but she couldn't find her voice. Something about that man unnerved her to the point of panic. He wasn't human, he was a void bringer. If that word had ever applied to any, it was Moash. What do you need? Her guard asked. Have you been fed? I, Navani licked her lips. I need a candle please, for burning prayers. Remarkably, she fetched it. Taking the candle, shivering, Navani cupped the flame and walked to her pallet. There she knelt and began burning her glyphords, one at a time. If there was a god, if the Almighty was still out there somewhere, had he created Moash? Why? Why bring such a thing into the world? 
please, she thought, begging as a ward shriveled, her prayers casting smoke into the air. Please, tell me what to do. Show me something. Let me know you're there. As the last prayer drifted toward the tranquiline halls, she sat back on her heels, numb, wanting to huddle down and forget about her problems. When she moved to do so, however, in the candlelight, she caught sight of something glittering amid the wreckage of her desk. As if in a trance, Navani rose and walked over. The guard wasn't looking. Navani brushed aside ash to find a metal dagger with a diamond affixed to the pommel. She stared at it, confused. It had exploded, hadn't it? No, this is the second one. The one Raboniel used to kill her daughter. She tossed it aside as if hating it once the deed was done. A precious, priceless weapon. And the fused had discarded it. How long had Raboniel been awake? Did she feel like Navani, exhausted, pushed to the limit, forgetting important details? For there, glimmering violet black in the gemstone, was a soft glow, not completely used up in the previous killing, a small charge of anti-void light. Kaladin took the steps down one at a time unhurried as he walked toward the trap. A certain momentum pushed him forward, as if his next actions were soul-cast into stone, already unchangeable. A mountain seemed to fill in behind him, blocking his retreat. Forward, only forward, one step after another. He emerged from the stairwell onto the ground floor. Two dire-form regals had been guarding the path, but they backed off, hands on swords, humming frantically. Kaladin ignored them, turning toward the atrium. He set his spear to his shoulder and strode through this central corridor. No more hiding. He was too tired to hide, too wrung out for tactics and strategy. The pursuer wanted him? Well, he would have Kaladin, presented as he had always been seen. Dressed in his uniform, striding to the fight, his head high. Humans and singers alike scattered before him. Kaladin saw many of the humans wearing the markings Relaine had described, shash glyphs drawn on their foreheads. Storm them, they believed in him. They wore the symbol of his shame, his failure, and his imprisonment. And they made it something better. He couldn't help feeling that this was it. The last time he'd wear the uniform, his final act as a member of Bridge Four. One way or another, he had to move on from the life he'd been clinging to and the simple squad of soldiers who had formed the heart of that life. All these people believed in a version of him who had already died, High Marshal Kaladin Stormblest, the valiant soldier, leader of the Windrunners, stalwart and unwavering. Like Cal the innocent youth, squad leader Kaladin, the soldier in Amaram's army, and Kaladin the slave, High Marshal Stormblast had passed. Kaladin had become someone new, someone who could not measure up to the legend. But with all these people believing in him, falling in behind him, whispering with hope and anticipation, 
Perhaps he could resurrect Stormblast for one last battle. He didn't worry about exposing himself. There was nowhere to run. Regals and singer soldiers gathered in bunches, tailing him and whispering harshly, but they would let a fused deal with a radiant. Other fused would know, though. Kaladin had been claimed already. He was pursued. As Kaladin drew near to the breakaway, the hallway to his right would merge with a large open marketplace. He finally felt her. He stopped fast, looking that direction. The dozens of people following him hushed as he stared intently and raised his right hand in the direction of the market. Sill, he thought, I'm here. Find me. A line of light, barely visible, bounced around in the distance. It turned and spun toward him, picking up speed, its path growing straighter. She grew brighter, and awareness of her blossomed in his mind. They were not whole, either one without the other. She recovered herself with a gasp, then landed on his hand, wearing her girlish dress. Are you all right? he whispered. No, she said. No, not at all. That felt, felt like it did when I nearly died. Like it did when I drifted for centuries. I feel sad, Kaladin, and cold. I understand those feelings, he replied. But the enemy still. They're going to execute the Radiance, and they might have my parents. She peered up at him. Then her shape fuzzed, and she was instantly in a uniform like his, colored Colin blue. Kaladin nodded, then turned and continued, shattered by the hopes and prayers of hundreds, shattered by his own reputation, a man who would never cry in the night, huddled against the wall, terrified, a man he was determined to pretend to be. One last time. He checked Navani's flying gauntlet, which he'd attached to his belt, easy to unhook if needed, at his right side so it pointed behind him. Kaladin and Dabid had reset its conjoined weights the other night. It hadn't worked so well for him in the previous fight, but now he understood its limitations. It was a device designed by engineers, not soldiers. He couldn't wear it on his hand, where it would interfere with his ability to hold a spear. But perhaps it could offer him an edge in another capacity. With Syl flying as a ribbon of light beside his head, he strode into the atrium, with that endless wall of glass rising as a window in front of him. An equally endless hollow shaft in the stone rose up toward the pinnacle of the tower, surrounded by balconies on most levels. Heavenly Ones hovered in the air, though he didn't have time to search for Leshwi. Sill moved out in front of him, then paused, hovering, seeming curious. What? he asked. High storm coming, she said in his head. Of course there was. It was that kind of day. People in the atrium began to scatter as they saw him, accompanied by anticipation spren. As the place emptied, he picked up a hulking figure standing in the dead center of the chamber, blocking the way to the room on the other side, the infirmary. Kaladin brandished his spear in challenge, but the pursuer cared nothing for honor. He was here for the kill, and he came streaking at Kaladin to claim it. 103. The Legend You Live Watch them struggle, witness their writhing, 
their refusal to surrender. Humans cling to the rocks with the vigor of any Rosharan vine. Musings of L on the first of the final ten days. There he is, Teft said, ducking and moving with the crowd of people in the atrium. With a cloak over his uniform, he didn't draw attention. He'd found that was often the case. Kaladin turned heads even if he was dressed in rags. He was that kind of man. But Teft? He looked forgettable. In this cloak, he was simply another worker, walking with his daughter through the atrium. Hopefully Lyft would keep her head down so the hood of her own cloak obscured her features. Otherwise, someone might wonder why his daughter looked an awful lot like a certain bothersome radiant who was always making trouble in the tower. What took him so long? Lyft whispered as the two of them sidled over along the wall of the atrium, acting frightened of the sudden rush of people who made way for Kaladin and the pursuer. Boy likes to grandstand, Teft said. But storms, it was hard not to feel inspired at the sight of Kaladin, framed in the entryway like that, in a sharp blue uniform, his hair free, his scars bold and stark on his forehead, eyes intense enough to pierce the darkest storm. You did good with that one, Teft, he thought, giving himself permission to feel a little pride. You ruined your own life something fierce, but you did good with that one. Fenderana whispered comfort in his ear. She'd shrunk at his request and rode on his shoulder. He nodded at the words. If his family hadn't gotten involved with the Invisagers, he wouldn't have known how to help Kaladin when he'd needed it. And then the Blackthorn probably would have died, and they wouldn't have found this tower. So maybe it was time to let go of what he'd done. Together, they inched along the wall toward the infirmary. Storm him if having his own personal spren wasn't the best thing that had happened to him other than Bridge Four. She could be a little crusty at times, which made them a good match. She also refused to accept his excuses, which made them an even better match. Kaladin started fighting, and Teft couldn't spare him much more than a wish of goodwill. The lad would be fine. Teft simply had to do his part. They waited to see if the guards in the infirmary came out at the ruckus, and blessedly they did. Unfortunately, one remained at the door, gaping at the battle, but apparently determined to remain at his post. Stormform Regal, too, which was just Teft's luck. Still, he and Lyft were able to work the press of the crowd to their advantage, pretending they were confused civilians. Maybe that Stormform would let them hide in the infirmary. Instead, the regal at the door showed them an indifferent palm, gesturing for them to flee in another direction. He turned aside a number of other people who saw the infirmary as a convenient escape, so Teft and Lyft didn't draw undue attention. People in the atrium cried out as Kaladin and the pursuer clashed. Heavenly ones floated down to watch the battle, their long trains descending like curtains, adding to the surreal sight. In fact, everybody's eyes were fixed on the contest between Kaladin and the pursuer. So, Teft took the regal guard by the arm. These regals had that captive lightning running through them, so touching the singer gave Teft a shock. He cried out and shook his hand, backing away as the storm form turned toward him in annoyance. Please, bright lord, Teft said. What is happening? As the regal focused on him, Lyft slipped around behind and cracked the door open. Be on with you, the regal said. Don't bother. 
Teft rushed the singer, tackling him around the waist and throwing him backward through the open door. The Regal's powers sent another shock through Teft, but in the confusion, Teft was able to get him to the ground and put him in a dead man's hold. Lift shut the door with a click. She waited, anxious, as Teft struggled to keep pressure on the creature's throat. He pulled in all the stormlight he had, but felt the stormform's power growing, the creature's skin crackling with red lightning. Healing, Teft said. Lift leapt over and pressed her hand against his leg as the stormform released a bolt of power straight through Teft into the floor. The crack it made was incredible. Teft felt a burning pain, like someone had decided to use his stomach as a convenient place to build their fire pit. But he held on, and Lift healed him. He even managed to roll to the side and use Stormlight to stick the Regal to the ground. That let him keep the pressure on and resist the shocks that followed, less powerful than the first. Finally, the Regal went limp, unconscious. Teft huffed and stood, though he first had to unstick his clothing from the floor. Storming Stormlight. He looked down and found the front of his shirt had been burned clean through. He glanced to Fenderana, who had grown to full size. She folded her arms thoughtfully. What? he asked. Your hair is standing up, she said, then grinned. She looked like a little kid when she did that, and he couldn't help returning the expression. Move, she said to him. Seal the door. Right, right. He stepped over and infused the doorframe with stormlight. Someone would have heard that lightning bolt. Lift, he shouted as he worked. Get to it. I want these radiants up and taking orders faster than an arrow falls. He glanced to Fenderana, standing beside him and meeting his eyes. We can do this. Get them up, grab Cal's family, get out. Through the window, she asked. Outside the east-facing window was a sheer drop of hundreds of feet. He felt moderately good about his ability to climb down it. How far would everyone have to get before their radiant powers returned? He feared the Heavenly Ones would find out before then and come after them. Well, he'd see what the others said once they were awake. Teft turned from the new sealed door to inspect the room and Lift's progress. Where was that surgeon and his- Lift screamed. She leaped back as one of the bodies on the floor nearby emerged from beneath the sheet. The figure, dressed all in black, swung a shard blade at her. She nearly managed to get away, but the blade caught her in the thighs, cutting with the grace of an eel through the air. Lift collapsed, her legs ruined by the blade. The figure in the black uniform turned from Lift and, blazing with stormlight, focused on Teft. Sunken cheeks, prominent nose, glowing eyes. Moash. Kaladin didn't run. He knew what the pursuer would do. Indeed, the creature acted as he had each time before, dropping a husk and streaking toward Kaladin to grapple him. That was one husk spent. The pursuer had two others before he would be trapped in his form and had to either flee or face Kaladin and risk dying. Kaladin stepped directly into the pursuer's path and dropped his spear, willingly entering the grapple. Turning at the last moment, he caught the pursuer's hands as they reached for him. Thrumming with stormlight, Kaladin held the pursuer's wrists. Storms, the creature was stronger than he was, but Kaladin wouldn't run or hide. Not this time. This time he only had to give Teft and Lift enough space to work. And Kaladin had discovered something during their last fight. This creature was not a soldier. Gavin, little man, the pursuer said. I am as unavoidable as the coming storm. I will chase you forever. 
Good, Kaladin said. Bravado, the pursuer said, laughing. He managed to hook Kaladin's foot, then used his superior strength to shove Kaladin to the ground. Best Kaladin could do was hang on and pull him down as well. The pursuer kneed Kaladin in the gut, then twisted to get him in a hold. So foolish, Kaladin writhed, barely able to keep from being immobilized. Sill flitted around them. As the pursuer tried for a lock, Kaladin twisted around and met the pursuer's eyes, then smiled. The pursuer growled and repositioned to press Kaladin against the ground by his shoulders. I'm not afraid of you, Kaladin said, but you're going to be afraid of me. Madness, the pursuer said. Your inevitable fate has caused madness in your frail mind. Kaladin grunted, back to the cold stone, using both hands to push the pursuer's right hand away. He kept his eyes locked on the pursuers. I killed you, Kaladin said, and I'll kill you now. Then every time you return for me, I'll kill you again. I'm immortal, the pursuer growled, but his rhythm had changed, not so confident. Doesn't matter, Kaladin said. I've heard what people say about you. Your life isn't the blood in your veins, but the legend you live. Each death kills that legend a little more. Each time I defeat you, it will rip you apart, until you're no longer known as the pursuer. You'll be known as the defeated, the creature who, no matter how hard he tries, can't ever beat me. Kaladin reached down and activated Navani's device at his belt, then pressed the grip that dropped the weight. It was as if someone had suddenly tied a rope to his waist and then pulled him out of the pursuer's grip, sliding him across the floor of the atrium. He deactivated the device, then rolled to his feet, looking across the short distance at his enemy. Sill fell in beside him, glaring at the pursuer in a perfect mimic of his posture. Then, together, they smiled as Kaladin pulled out his scalpel. Moash kicked Lift toward the wall, sending her limp and tumbling. She lay still and didn't move after that. Moash floated forward, blade out, attention affixed solely on Teft. Teft cursed himself for a fool. He'd focused on taking care of the regal at the door. He should have known to check for irregularities. Now that he looked, he could see Cal's parents and brother bound and gagged, visible through a gap in the cloth of the draped-off section at the rear. The real trap wasn't outside with the pursuer. It was in here, with a much deadlier foe, a man who had been trained for war by Kaladin himself. Hello, Taft, Moash said softly, landing in front of the rows of unconscious people on the floor. How are the men? Safe from you. Teft said, pushing aside his cloak and unsheathing the long knife he had hidden underneath. Couldn't move through a crowd unseen with a spear, unfortunately. Not all of them, Teft, Moash said. There was a shadow on his face despite the room's many lit spheres. Moash lunged forward and Teft danced back, stepping carefully over the body of the unconscious Regal. He had space here in front of the door with no fallen radiance to upset his footing. All Moash did at first was open a sack and throw something out across the floor nearby. Black sand? What on Roshar? Teft held out his weapon, Fandorana at his side, but the knife seemed tiny compared to Moash's weapon. The assassin's honor blade, the one that had killed old Gavilar. It looked wicked in Moash's hand, shorter than most blades, but in a lithe, deliberate way. This wasn't a weapon for slaying great monsters of stone. 
It was a weapon for killing men. 104. Full of Hope Humans are a poem, a song. Musings of L on the first of the final ten days. Hey, someone said to the rhythm of reprimand, what are you doing? Verlaine turned, shifting the barrel of water from one shoulder to the other. Dabit pulled in close to him, frightened at the challenge. The two of them were in a nondescript passage of Urethiru, close to the steps down to the basement. This was the last guard post, and Relaine thought they had made it past. We're delivering water, Relaine said to Consolation, tapping his small water barrel. He wore makeup, covering his tattoo, blending it into his skin pattern. To the scholars. Why are you doing it? The singer said, not a fused or regal, merely an ordinary guard. She walked over and put a hand on Relaine's shoulder. Let the human do that kind of work, friend. You are meant for greater things. She glanced at Dabid, who looked at the ground, and attuned irritation. This wasn't the kind of resistance he'd anticipated. It's my job, Relaine said to the guard. Who assigned Axhound's work to a singer, she demanded. Come with me. You strike an imposing figure in war form. I'll teach you the sword. We're recruiting for our squad. I, I would rather do what I'm supposed to, he said to Consolation. He pulled free, and thankfully she let him go. He and Dabid continued along the hallway. Can you believe it? She said from behind. How can so many keep on thinking like slaves? It's sad. Yeah, one of the other guards said. I wouldn't expect it of that one most of all, considering. Relaine attuned anxiety. That one? The female and said, her voice echoing in the hallway. Yeah, he's that listener, isn't he? The one that was in prison until Raboniel's voice pulled him out? Damnation. Relaine walked a little quicker, but it was no use as soon as he heard Boots chasing him. The guard grabbed him by the elbow. Wait now, she said. You're the listener? I am, Relaine said to Consolation. Delivering water? You, a traitor? We're not. He attuned determination and turned around. We're not traitors. Venley is Raboniel's voice. Yeah, the female and said. Well, you're not going down where the human queen is, not until I get confirmation that you're allowed. Come with me. Dabid pulled in closer to Relaine, trembling. Relaine looked toward the singer guards, four of them. No, he wasn't going to fight them, and not only because of the numbers. Fine, he said. Let's ask your superior so I can get on with my duty. They pulled him away, and Dabid followed, whimpering softly as they were led step by step farther from their goal. Well, if the sibling wanted him down there for some reason, they'd have to find a way to get him out of this. The pursuer lunged for Kaladin. Kaladin, however, was ready. He activated Nabani's device, which was still attached to his belt. That tugged Kaladin backward faster than a man could leap, and so he stayed out of the pursuer's grip. By this point, the singers had cleared most of the atrium of civilians. They'd lined the walls with soldiers, 
but not the flat side of the room with the window, though crowds continued to watch from the hallways and the balconies, trusting in Kaladin. Heavenly Ones hovered above the circular chamber as if to judge the contest. In effect, it was an arena. Kaladin projected as much strength and confidence as he could. He almost started to feel it, the worn-out, weathered fatigue retreating. He needed the pursuer to believe, to understand, that he had far more to lose from this contest than Kaladin did. And he seemed to, for as Kaladin reached the other side of the room and disengaged Navani's device, the creature ejected his second body and shot toward Kaladin as a ribbon. He wanted to end this battle quickly. The window had darkened from the approaching storm wall, which announced the high storm. It hit with a fury that Kaladin could barely hear, and spheres became the room's only source of light. Kaladin seized the fused out of the air as he formed, and they clashed again. That was the pursuer's third body. If he ejected this time, he'd have to go recharge or risk forming a fourth body and being killed. They went to ground again, rolling as they wrestled, Kaladin trying to maneuver his knife. The pursuer could heal with void light, but the more of that he lost, the more likely he'd have to retreat. This time the creature offered no taunts as he tried to get a grip on Kaladin's head, likely to smash it to the ground as he knew Kaladin's healing wasn't working properly. That gave Kaladin a chance to stab upward, forcing the pursuer to grab his arm instead. You're no soldier, Kaladin said loudly, his voice echoing to all of those listening. That's what I realized about you, defeated one. You've never faced death. Silence, the pursuer growled, twisting Kaladin's wrist. Kaladin grunted, then rolled them both to the side, narrowly protecting his wrist from serious damage. He dropped the knife. Fortunately, he had found others. I've faced it every day of my life, Kaladin shouted, rolling on top of the fused. You wonder why I don't fear you? I've lived with the knowledge that death is hounding me. You're nothing new. Be quiet. But I'm something you have never known, Kaladin shouted, slamming the pursuer down by his shoulders. Thousands of years of life can't prepare you for something you've never met before, defeated one. It can't prepare you for someone who does not fear you. Kaladin pulled out his boot knife and raised it. The pursuer, seeing that coming, didn't do what he should have. He didn't try to grapple or knee Kaladin's stomach. He panicked and shot away as a ribbon of light, fleeing. He materialized a short distance away in front of the watching soldiers. His fourth body, his last one, the one he was vulnerable in. He turned to look back at Kaladin, now standing atop his husk. I am death itself, defeated one, Kaladin said, and I finally caught up to you. Venli found a mob of people blocking the central corridor as she tried to reach the atrium. She attuned anxiety and pushed through the press. Since she was a regal, people did make way. Eventually, she reached the front of the crowd where a group of war forms stood in a line, blocking the way forward. She suspected she knew what was happening. Relaine and his friends had already begun their rescue plan. She was too late. Make room, Venli demanded to derision. What is happening? One of the war forms turned. Venli didn't know him personally, but he was one of the pursuer's soldiers. Our master is fighting Stormblast, he said. We're to keep a perimeter, prevent people from interfering. 
Venley craned her neck, tall enough to see that the room was being guarded by about a hundred of the pursuers' troops, though she also saw some of Raboniel's personal guard, which she'd picked up from Leshwi. Venley attuned the terrors. What now? Could she help? She found as she searched that she genuinely wanted to. Not because Timber was pushing her, and not because this was merely the path she was on, but because of the songs of the stones and the whispers of those who had come before her. I'm the voice of the Lady of Wishes, Venley said. You think that your blockade applies to me? Step aside. Reluctantly, the soldiers made way for her, and once she had a clear view, she couldn't help but pause. There was something about the way Stormblest fought. Even grappling with the pursuer, rolling across the ground, there was a certain determination to him. He freed himself from the grapple, then somehow leaped back twenty feet, though his powers shouldn't have been working that well. The pursuer became a ribbon and chased him, but Stormblest didn't run. He reached out and seized the pursuer right as he appeared. Fascinating. She could see why Leshwi found the humans so interesting. There was nothing Venley could do about this battle. She had to think about Relaine and Liren and his family. She searched the air and located Leshwi hovering nearby. Venley made her way over to Leshwi as Storm Blessed stood tall atop the pursuer's husk. The lady floated down. She would not interfere in a duel such as this. This looks bad for Stormblessed, Venley whispered. No, Leshwi said to exultation. The pursuer has used all of his husks. He will need to flee and renew. Why doesn't he? Venley asked. Look, Leshwi said, and pointed at the silent atrium. A perimeter of soldiers with humans crowded behind them, peeking through, fused in the air, all staring at the two combatants. An incredible soldier, who seemed immortal and impervious, completely in control, and a fused, who somehow looked small by comparison. Teft dodged through the infirmary. He didn't dare engage Moash directly. Instead, he tried to stay out of reach, buying time. For what, though? Moash drifted closer to them, eyes glowing. Stormblast isn't going to come in and help, is he? Fenderana asked softly, floating beside Teft. Kaladin can't be everywhere at once, Teft said. He's just one man, though he often forgets that. He jumped backward over a body. Lift had stirred and was quietly pulling herself across the ground toward one of the nearby radians, her legs dragging behind. Good girl, Teft thought. He needed to keep Moash's attention. Never known a man to turn traitor as hard as you did, Teft called to Moash. What was it that got you? What made you willing to kill your own? Peace, Moash said, halting in the middle of the room. It was peace, Teft. This is peace, Teft said, gesturing. Fighting your friends? We're not fighting. You run like a coward. Every good sergeant is a coward and proud of it. Someone needs to talk sense to the officers. Moash hovered in place, a black stain in the air. Before he could look and see Lift, 
Spenderana appeared to him, standing a short distance away. Moash glanced toward her sharply. Good, good, distraction. Moash, however, casually turned and slashed his shard blade through the face of a radiant beneath him. The unconscious woman's eyes burned, and Lift cried out in horror, heaving herself forward to reach the body, as if she could do anything. Moash glanced at Teft, then raised his blade toward Lift. Fine, Teft said, striding forward. Bastard. You want me? Fine. Fight me. I'll show you who the better man is. Moash landed beside the body and walked straight toward Teft. We both know who the better warrior is, Teft. I didn't say better warrior, you idiot, Teft said, lunging in with his knife. The stab was a feint, but Moash knew it. He sidestepped at precisely the right time and tripped Teft as he tried to turn and swing again. Teft went down with a grunt. He tried to roll, but Moash landed and kicked him in the side hard. Something crunched in Teft's chest. A wound that blossomed with pain and didn't heal, despite his stormlight. Moash loomed overhead and raised his blade, then swung it down without further comment. Teft dropped his knife, useless against a blade, and raised his hands. He felt something from Pandorana, a harmony between them. Teft was forgiven. Teft was forgiven, and he was close. Moash's shard blade met something in the air, a phantom spear shaft barely coalescing between Teft's hands, and stopped. It threw sparks, but it stopped. Teft gritted his teeth and held on as Moash finally showed an emotion. Surprise. He stumbled back, his eyes wide. Teft let go, and Fenderana appeared beside him on the ground, puffing from exertion. He felt sweat trickling down his brow. Manifesting her like that, even a little, had been like trying to push an axe-hound through a keyhole. He wasn't certain he or she could do it a second time. Best to try something else. Teft held his side, grimacing as he forced himself into a kneeling position. All right, lad. I'm done. You got me. I surrender. Let's wait for Kaladin to show up and you can continue this conversation with him. I'm not here for Kaladin, Teft, Moash said softly. And I'm not here for your surrender. Teft steeled himself. Grapple him, he thought. Make the blade a liability too big to use. His best hope. Because Teft did have hope. That was what he'd recovered these years in Bridge Four. The moss might take him again, but if it did, well, he would fight back again. The past could rot. Teft, Windrunner, had hope. He managed to get to his feet, prepared for Moash to lunge at him. But when Moash moved, it wasn't toward Teft. It was toward Fenderana. What? Teft stood stunned as Moash pulled a strange dagger from his belt and slammed it down right where Fenderana was kneeling. She looked up with surprise and took the knife straight in the forehead. Then she screamed. Teft leaped for her, howling, watching in horror as she shrank, writhing as Moash's dagger pinned her to the floor. Her essence burned, flaring outward like an explosion. Something ripped inside Teft something deeper than his own heart. A part of his soul, his being, was torn away. 
He collapsed immediately, falling near the white spot in the sand that was all that remained of Fenderana. No, no, it hurt so much. Agony like a sudden terrible stillness, nothingness, emptiness. It, it can't be. Moash tucked the dagger away methodically. I can't feel sorrow anymore, Teft. For that I am grateful. Moash turned Teft over with his foot. His broken ribs screamed, but felt like such an insignificant pain now. But you know what, Moash said, standing over him. There was always a part of me that resented how you were so eager to follow him. Right from the start, his little axe hound licking his feet. He loves you. I thought I'd have to use his father, but I am satisfied to have found something better. You are a monster, Teft whispered. Moash took Teft calmly by the front of his burned shirt and hoisted him up. I am no monster. I am merely silence, the quiet that eventually takes all men. Tell yourself that lie, Moash, Teft growled, gripping the hand that held him, his own hand claw-like from the horrible pain. But know this, you can kill me, but you can't have what I have. You can never have it, because I die knowing I'm loved. Moash grunted and dropped him to the ground. Then he stabbed Teft directly through the neck with his shard blade. Confident and somehow still full of hope, Teft died. 105. Children of Passions For ones so soft, they are somehow strong. Musings of L on the first of the final ten days. The high storm blowing outside the enormous window presented a view that Caledon often saw, but others rarely knew. Flashing lightning, a swirling tempest, power raw and unchained. Caledon stepped off the pursuer's decaying husk and walked forward, toward the enemy. The pursuer searched around, likely realizing how large his audience was. Hundreds watching. He lived by lore, by reputation. He always killed anyone who killed him. He won each conflict eventually. Now he saw that crumbling. Kaladin could hear it in the increasingly panicked rhythm the pursuer hummed. Saw it in his eyes. Run, Kaladin told him. Flee. I'll chase you. I will never stop. I am eternal. I am the storm. The pursuer stumbled back, but then encountered his soldiers holding the perimeter, humming an encouraging rhythm. Behind them, humans gawked, their foreheads painted. Has it been long enough, do you think? Syl whispered. Are the others free? Hopefully, Kaladin said, but I don't think they'll be able to escape into that high storm. Then they'll have to come out here, and we'll have to push for the crystal pillar room she said, looking toward the infirmary. Why haven't they appeared yet? Once we defeat the pursuer, when he breaks and runs, we'll find out, Kaladin said, unhooking Navani's device from his waist. Something's wrong, she said softly. 
something dark. Kaladin stepped to the very center of the atrium, marked by a swirling pattern of strata. He pointed his knife at the pursuer. Last body, Kaladin called. Come fight, and we'll see who dies. We'll see if your reputation survives the hour. The pursuer, to his credit, came charging in. As he arrived, grabbing Kaladin, Kaladin pressed Navani's device against the pursuer's chest and lashed the bar down, binding it in place. It launched backward, carrying the pursuer with it. He slammed into the glass of the window, and his carapace cracked as he struck. He shook himself, recovering quickly, but didn't heal. He'd used up his void light. With effort, the pursuer struggled to move the device and managed to extricate himself from it, leaving it pressed to the window, which was smeared with his orange blood. More blood dripped from the cracked carapace at his chest. Kaladin stalked toward him, holding the knife. Flee! The pursuer's eyes widened, and he stepped to the side toward his soldiers. Flee! Kaladin said. The creature fell silent, no humming, no speaking. Run from me, Kaladin demanded. He did, dripping blood and shoving his way past the singer soldiers. He'd retreated from previous battles, but this time they both knew it meant something different. This creature was no longer the pursuer. He knew it. The singers knew it. And the humans watching behind knew it. They began to chant, glory spren bursting in the air. Storm-blessed, storm-blessed, storm-blessed. Trembling, Kaladin retrieved and deactivated Navani's device, then returned to the center of the room. He could feel their energy propelling him, a counter to the darkness. He turned toward the infirmary. The door had been opened. When had that happened? He stepped toward it, but could see the radiance in their lines on the floor covered in sheets. Why weren't they up and awake? Were they feigning? That could work, pretending they were still asleep. Something dropped from above. A body hit the ground in front of Kaladin with a callous smack of skull on stone. It rolled, and Kaladin saw burned-out eyes, a terribly familiar bearded face, a face that had smiled at him countless times, cursed at him an equal number, but had always been there when everything else went dark. Teft. Teft was dead. Moash landed a short distance from where Kaladin knelt over Teft's body. Several of the watching soldiers stepped toward the Windrunner, but Moash raised his hand and stopped them. No, he said softly as heavenly ones hovered down around him. Leave him be. This is how we win. Moash knew exactly what Kaladin was feeling that crushing sense of despair, that knowledge that nothing would be the same. Nothing could ever be the same. Light had left the world and could never be rekindled. Kaladin cradled Teft's corpse, letting out a low, piteous whine. He began to tremble and shake, becoming as insensate as he had when King Elokar had died, as he had after Moash had killed Rashon. And if Kaladin responded that way to the deaths of his enemies, well, Teft dying would be worse. Far, far worse. Kaladin had been unraveling for years. That, Moash said to the fused, is how you break a storm. He'll be useless from here on out. 
Make sure nobody touches him. I have something to do. He walked into the infirmary room. At the rear was the model of the tower, intricate in its detail, cut into a cross-section with one half on either side. He knelt and peered at a copy of the room with the crystal pillar. Beside it, produced in miniature, were a small crystal globe and gemstone. The fabrial glowed with a tiny light barely visible. The final node of the tower's defenses, placed where anyone who looked would see it, but think nothing of it. Raboniel had known, though. How long? He suspected she'd figured it out days ago and was stalling to continue her research here. That one was trouble. He summoned his blade and used the tip to destroy the tiny fabrile. Then he walked over to the sectioned-off portion of the room. The child edge dancer lay there, tied up and unconscious, next to Kaladin's parents and brother. Odium was interested in the edge dancer, and Moash had been forbidden to kill her. Hopefully he hadn't struck her head too hard. He didn't always control that as he should. For now, he grabbed Liren by his bound hands and dragged him, screaming through his gag, out of the infirmary. There Moash waited until the pursuer came flying back as a shameful ribbon of light. The pursuer formed a body, and Moash pushed Liren into the creature's hands. This is Stormblast's father, Moash whispered. No, don't say it loudly. Don't draw Kaladin's attention. His father is insurance. Kaladin has huge issues with the man. If Kaladin somehow regains his senses, immediately kill his father in front of him. This is nonsense, the pursuer growled. I could kill Stormblast now. No, Moash said, grabbing the pursuer and pointing at his face. You know I have our master's blessing. You know I speak to command. You will not touch Stormblast. You can't hurt him. You can't kill him. He's just a man. Don't touch him, Moash said. If you interfere, it will awaken him to vengeance. We don't want that yet. There are two paths open to him. One is to take the route I did and give up his pain. The other is the route he should have taken long ago. The path where he raises the only hand that can kill Kaladin Stormblist. His own. The pursuer didn't like it, judging by the rhythm he hummed, but he accepted Kaladin's bound and gagged father and seemed willing to stay put. The guards had quieted the rowdy humans and the atrium was falling still. Kaladin knelt before the storm, clinging to a dead man, shaking. Moash hesitated, searching inside himself. And he felt nothing, just coldness. Good. He had reached his potential. Don't ruin this, he told the gathered fused. I need to go kill a queen. Navani waited for her chance. She had tried talking to the sibling, but had heard only whimpers. So she had returned to the front of her room to wait for her chance to arrive. It came when her door guard suddenly shouted, putting her hands to her head in disbelief. She ran down the hallway. When Navani peeked out, she saw what had caused the commotion. The field around the crystal pillar was gone. 
someone had destroyed the final node. The sibling was exposed. Navani almost ran over to attack with the anti-voidlight dagger. She hesitated, though, eyeing her traps in the hallway. A magnet. I need a magnet. She'd seen one earlier near the wreckage of her desk. She scrambled over and picked it up out of the rubble. Outside, she heard Raboniel's order echo with a clear voice. Run, she said to the guard. Tell the word of deeds and the night known to attend me. We have work to do. The guard dashed away. When Navani peeked out again, Raboniel was stepping into the chamber with the crystal pillar, alone. A chance. Navani slipped into the hallway and moved quietly toward Raboniel. After passing the crates with her carefully prepared traps, she touched the magnet to a corner of the last crate and heard a click. She only dared take the time to arm one, a pain rail that filled anyone who crossed this point in the hallway with immense agony. That done, she moved to the end of the corridor. The room with the crystal pillar seemed darker than she remembered it. The sibling had been almost fully corrupted. Raboniel stood with her hand pressed against the pillar to finish the job. Navani forced herself forward, dagger held in a tight grip. You should run, Navani, Raboniel said to a calm rhythm, her voice echoing in the room. There is a copy of our notebook on my desk in the hallway, along with your anti-voidlight plate. Take them and make your escape. Navani froze in place, holding the dagger's hilt so tightly she thought she might never be able to uncurl her fingers. She knows I'm here. She knows what she did in sending the guard away. Logic, Navani. What does it mean? You're letting me go on purpose, she said. Since the final node has been destroyed, Raboniel said, Vire will soon return to claim his promised compensation. However, if you have escaped on your own, well then I have not defaulted on my covenant with him. I can't leave the sibling to you. What do you think to do? Raboniel asked. Fight me? She turned, so calm and composed. Her eyes flickered to the dagger, then she hummed softly to a confused rhythm. She'd forgotten about it. She wasn't as in control as she appeared. Is this how you wish to end our association? Raboniel asked. Struggling like brutes in the wilderness, scholars such as we, reduced to the exploitation of common blades. Run, Navani. You cannot defeat a fused in battle. She was right on that count. I can't abandon the sibling. Navani said. My honor won't allow it. We're all children of odium in the end, Raboniel said. Children of our passions. You just said we were scholars, Navani said. Others might be controlled by their passions. We are something more, something better. She took a deep breath, then turned the dagger in her hand, hilt out. I'll give you this. Then you and I can go back to my room to wait together. If Vire does defeat Stormblessed, 
I will submit to him. If not, you will agree to leave the sibling. A foolish gamble, Raboniel said. No, a compromise. We can discuss as we wait. And if we come to a more perfect accommodation, all the better. She proffered the dagger. Very well, Raboniel said. She took the dagger with a quick snap of her hand, showing that she didn't completely trust Navani, as well she shouldn't. Raboniel strode down the hallway, Navani following several paces behind. Let's get to this quickly, Navani, Raboniel said. I should think that the two of us. Then Raboniel stepped directly into Navani's fabrial trap. 106. A Hundred Discordant Rhythms For ones so varied, they are somehow intense. Musings of L on the first of the final ten days. Kaladin clung to Teft's limp form and felt it all crumbling. The flimsy facade of confidence he had built to let himself fight, the way he pretended he was fine. Syl landed on his shoulder, arms wrapped around herself, and said nothing. What was there to say? It was over. It was all just over. What was there to life if he couldn't protect the people he loved? Long ago, he'd promised himself he'd try one last time. He'd try to save the men of Bridge Four. And he'd failed. Teft had been so vibrant, so alive, so sturdy, and so constant. He'd finally defeated his own monsters, had finally come into his own, claiming his radiance. He had been a wonderful, loving, amazing man. He'd depended on Kaladin, like Tien like a hundred others. But he couldn't save them. He couldn't protect them. Syl whimpered, shrinking in on herself. Kaladin wished he could shrink as well. Maybe if he'd lived as his father wanted, he could have avoided this. He said he fought to protect, but he didn't end up protecting anything, did he? He just destroyed, killed. Kaladin Stormblessed wasn't dead. He'd never existed. Kaladin Stormblessed was a lie. He always had been. The numbness claimed him, that hollow darkness that was so much worse than pain. He couldn't think, didn't want to think, didn't want anything. This time, Adolin wasn't there to pull him out of it, to force him to keep walking. This time... Kaladin was given exactly what he deserved. Nothing and nothingness. Navani froze in place. Raboniel, suddenly struck with incredible pain from Navani's trap, collapsed, dropping the dagger. Stealing herself, Navani went down on her hands and knees, then lunged forward to grab it. The pain was excruciating. But Navani had tested these devices upon herself, and she knew what they did. She lost control of her legs, but managed to crawl forward and plunge the dagger into Raboniel's chest. She kept her weight on the weapon, pressing it down, smelling burned flesh. Raboniel screamed, writhing, clawing at Navani. The pain rail did its job, however, 
and prevented her from fighting back effectively. I'm sorry, Navani said through gritted teeth. I'm sorry, but next time, try not to be so trusting. The pain rail soon ran out. Navani had set it up days ago with a small void light gemstone for power. It hadn't been intended to work for very long. She was pleased by the range, though. She'd specifically worked on that feature. Navani sat up, then wrapped her arms around herself, trying to fight off the phantom effects of the pain. Finally, she looked toward Raboniel's corpse and found the fused's eyes quivering, not glassy and white like her daughter's had been. Navani scrambled away. Raboniel moved her arms limply, then turned her head toward Navani. How? Navani demanded. Why are you alive? Not enough light, Raboniel croaked. She gripped the knife in her chest and pulled it free, letting out a sigh. It hurts. I'm, I'm not. She closed her eyes, though she continued to breathe. Navani inched forward, wary. You must take the notebook, Raboniel said. And you must run via returns. You tell me to run after I tried to kill you? Not tried, Raboniel said. I cannot hear rhythms. My soul dying. She pried open her eyes and fixed them on Navani. You tricked me well, Navani. Clever, clever. Well done. How can you say that? Navani said, glancing toward the desk and the papers on it. Live as long as I, and you can appreciate anything that still surprises you. Go, Navani. Run, the war must end. Navani felt sick now that she'd gone through with it. An unexpected pain pricked her at the betrayal. Nevertheless, she moved to the desk and picked up the notebook. I need to get this out of the tower, she realized. It is perhaps even more important than the sibling. A way to kill fused permanently, a way to to end the war. If both Radiant Spren and Fused could die for good, it could stop, couldn't it? Stormfather, she whispered. That's what it was all about. Raboniel wanted to end the war, one way or another. The notebook Navani held was a copy, and Navani realized that the original notebook would be in Kulinar delivered to the leaders of the Singer military, likely along with the vacuum chamber and the metal plates. Navani walked over to Raboniel. You wanted a way to end it, she said. You don't care who wins. I care, Raboniel whispered. I want the Singers to win, but your side winning is better than 
Then, then the war continuing forever, Navani said. Raboniel nodded, her eyes closed. Go, run, Vire will. Navani looked up as a blur flashed in the hallway, reflecting light. A thump hit her chest, and she grunted at the impact, stunned briefly, before pain began to wash through her body, sharp and alarming. A knife, she thought, befuddled to see the hilt of a throwing knife sticking from the side of her torso, next to her right breast. When she took a breath, the pain sharpened with a sudden spike. She looked up, pressing her hand to the wound, feeling warm blood spill out. At the far end of the hallway, a figure in a black uniform walked slowly forward. A shard blade appeared in his hand, the assassin's blade. Moash had returned. High Marshal Kaladin was dead. Venley watched the human, so consumed by his grief that he knelt there motionless for minutes on end. And they all watched, silent heavenly ones, solemn guards, disbelieving humans. No one seemed to want to speak or even breathe. That was how Venley should have felt upon losing her sister. Why didn't she have the emotions of a normal person? She'd been sad, but she didn't think she'd ever been so overcome by grief that she acted like storm-blessed. Timber pulsed comfortingly inside her. Everyone was different, and Venley was on the right path. Except, there wasn't really a point in returning to help now, was there? It was over. Beside her, Leshwi descended until her feet touched the ground. Then she bowed her head. Show her, Timber pulsed, what you are. What, now? Show her. Reveal what she was? In front of everyone? Venley shrank at the thought, attuning the terrors. One by one, the other heavenly ones touched down, as if in respect, for an enemy. This is stupidity the pursuer said, shoving Liren into Leshwi's hands. I can't believe we're all just standing here. Leshwi looked up from her vigil, humming to spite. Then amazingly, she pulled out a knife and cut Liren's hands free. I have not forgotten how you tried to turn the nine against me, the pursuer said, pointing at Leshwi. You seek to destroy my legacy. Your legacy is dead, defeated one, Leshwi said. It died when you ran from him. My legacy is untouched, the pursuer roared, causing Venley to stumble back, afraid. And this is complete madness. I will prove myself and continue my tradition. No, Leshwi said passing the still-gagged human to one of the other heavenly ones. She grabbed the pursuer, but he left a husk in her hand, exploding out as a ribbon of light to cross the atrium floor. No, Venley whispered. The pursuer appeared above Stormblessed. The fused yanked a sharpened carapace spur off his arm, then, holding it like a dagger, he grabbed the kneeling man by one shoulder. 
Kaladin, storm-blessed, looked up and let loose a howl that seemed to vibrate with a hundred discordant rhythms. Venley attuned the lost in return. The pursuer stabbed, but Stormblast grabbed his arm and turned, becoming a blur of motion. He somehow twisted around so he was behind the pursuer, then found a knife somewhere on his person, moving with such speed that Venley had trouble tracking him. Stormblast slammed the knife at the pursuer's neck, who barely ejected from the husk in time. He reformed and tried to grab Stormblast again, but there was no contest now. Kaladin moved like the wind, fast and flowing as he rammed his dagger through the pursuer's arm, causing him to shout in pain. A knife toward the face followed, and the pursuer ejected yet again. No one chanted or shouted this time, but when Stormblast turned around, Venley saw his face, and she immediately attuned the terrors. His eyes were glowing like a radiance, his face a mask of pain and anguish, but the eyes. She swore the light had a yellowish-red cast to it, like, like. The pursuer appeared near the soldiers at the perimeter by the wall. Go, he shouted to his men. Attack him, kill him, and then kill the other radiants. Your orders are chaos and death. The pursuer charged forward. The soldiers followed, then shied away. They wouldn't face Stormblest and those eyes of his. So the pursuer was left with no choice but to engage. Venley didn't know if he realized, but he was on his final body. Perhaps he knew he couldn't run this time, not and salvage any kind of reputation. Stormblest dashed to him, and they met near the vast window, flashing with lightning. The pursuer tried to grab him, and Kaladin welcomed it, folding into the deadly embrace, then expertly slamming them both up against the window. Kaladin pressed the pursuer to the glass. The storm outside flashed, shaking the tower, vibrating it and splashing it with light. In that moment, Kaladin did something to the window. As he stepped back, he left the pursuer stuck to the glass, immobilized and lacking the void light to eject his soul. Kaladin didn't attack. Instead, he reached down and infused the ground, but with power that didn't glow as strong as she thought it should. The pursuer's head. It was pulling forward against his neck, his eyes bulging. He groaned, and Venley realized that Stormblest had infused the ground, then made it pull on the pursuer's head. But his body was stuck to the wall. Kaladin turned and strode toward the watching heavenly ones as the pursuer's head ripped from his body and slammed to the floor with a crunch. Stormblest, Leshwe said, stepping out to meet him. You have fought and won. Your loss is powerful, I know, as mortals are. Kaladin shoved her aside. He was coming for Venley, she was sure of it. She braced herself, but he stalked past her, leaving her trembling to the terrors. Instead, Kaladin strode for the heavenly one who was holding his father. Of course. That heavenly one panicked, as any would. She shot off into the air, carrying the man. 
two other heavenly ones followed. Stormblessed looked up, then launched into the air using the strange fabriel that mimicked the lashings. Venley slumped to the ground, feeling worn out, though she hadn't done anything. At least it seemed to be over. But not for the soldiers from the pursuer's personal army, who gathered around his corpse. Dead a second time, to the same man. His reputation might be in shambles, but he was still fused. He would return. The soldiers turned toward the infirmary, remembering his last orders. They couldn't kill Stormblessed, but they could finish off the invalid Radiance. Kaladin could barely see straight. He had only a vague memory of killing the pursuer. He knew he'd done it, but remembering was hard. Thinking was hard. He soared upward, chasing the creatures who had taken his father. He heard Liren's shouts echoing from above, so he'd gotten his gag off. Each sound condemned Kaladin. He didn't actually believe he could save his father. It was as if Liren was already dead and screaming at Kaladin from damnation. Kaladin wasn't exactly certain why he followed, but he had to get up high. Perhaps, perhaps he could see better from up high. Sill streaked ahead of him, entering the shafts that let lifts reach the final tiers of the tower. She landed on the topmost level of Eurythiru. Kaladin arrived after activating a second weight halfway through the flight, then swung himself over the railing and deactivated the device in one move. He landed facing a heavenly one who tried to block his path. Kaladin. He left that heavenly one broken and dying, then tore through the upper chambers. Where? The roof. They'd make for the roof to escape. Indeed, he found another fused blocking the stairwell up, and Kaladin slammed Navani's device into the fused's chest and locked it in place, sending him flying away, up through the stairwell and off into the sky. Kaladin. I've forgotten, Sill's voice. She was zipping around him, but he could barely hear her. Kaladin burst out under the top of the tower. The storm spread out around them, almost to the pinnacle, a dark ocean of black clouds rumbling with discontent. The last of the heavenly ones was here, holding Kaladin's father. The fused backed away, shouting something Kaladin couldn't understand. Kaladin, I've forgotten the words. He advanced on the Heavenly One, and in a panic, she threw his father. Out, into the blackness. Kaladin saw Liren's face for a brief moment before he vanished. Into the pit, the swirling storm and tempest. Kaladin scrambled to the edge of the tower and looked down. Suddenly he knew why he'd come this high. He knew where he was going. He'd stood on this ledge before, long ago in the rain. This time, he jumped. 107. Uniting. For one so lost, they are somehow determined. Musings of L on the first of the final ten days. Navani managed to get to her feet, but after a few steps, fleeing toward the pillar, Away from Moash, she was lightheaded and woozy. Each breath was agony, and she was losing so much blood. She stumbled and pressed up against the wall, smearing blood across a mural of a comet-shaped spren to keep from falling. 
she glanced over her shoulder. Moash continued walking, an inevitable motion, not rushed. His sword, with its elegant curve, held to the side, so it left a small cut in the floor beside him. Light eyes, Moash said. Lying eyes, rulers who failed to rule. Your son was a coward at the end, queen. He begged me for his life, crying. Appropriate that he should die as he lived. She saved her breath, not daring to respond despite her fury, and pressed on down the hallway, trailing blood. I killed a friend today, Moash said, his terrible voice growing softer. I thought surely that would hurt. Remarkably, it didn't. I have become my best self, free, no more pain. I bring you silence, Navani. Payment for what you've done, how you've lived, the way you- Navani hazarded a glance over her shoulder as he cut off, suddenly. Moash had stopped above Raboniel's body. The fused had latched onto his foot with one hand. He cocked his head, seeming baffled. Raboniel launched herself at him, clawing up his body. Her legs didn't work, but she gripped Moash with talon-like fingers, snarling, and stabbed him repeatedly with the dagger Navani had left. The knife had no anti-void light remaining, but it was draining his stormlight. Raboniel had reversed the blade. Moash flinched at the attack, distracted, trying to maneuver his shard blade to fight off the crazed fused who grappled with him. Move, Navani thought to herself. Raboniel was trying to buy time. Even with renewed vigor, Navani didn't get far before the pain became too much. She stumbled into the room with the crystal pillar, abandoning thoughts of trying to escape into the tunnels beneath Urethiru. Instead, she forced herself forward to the pillar, then fell against it. Sibling, she whispered, tasting blood on her lips. Sibling? She expected to hear whimpering or weeping, the only response she'd received over the last few days. This time, she heard a strange tone, both harmonious and discordant at once. The rhythm of war. Dalinar flew through the air, lashed by Lin, the Windrunner, on his way to find the Herald Ishar. He felt something, rumbling, a distant storm. Everything was light around him up here, the sun shining, making it difficult to believe that somewhere it was dark and tempestuous. Somewhere, someone was lost in that blackness. The Stormfather appeared beside him, moving in the air alongside Dalinar, a rare occurrence. The Stormfather never had features, merely a vague impression of a figure the same size as Dalinar, yet extending into infinity. Something was wrong. What? Dalinar said. The son of Tanavast has entered the storm for the last time, the Stormfather said. I feel him. Kaladin? Dalinar said, eager. He's escaped? No. This is something far worse. Show me. Kaladin fell. The wind tossed him and whipped at him. He was just rags, just 
rags for a person. I've forgotten the words, Kaladin, Syl said, weeping. I see only darkness. He felt something in his hand, her fingers somehow gripping his as they fell on the storm. He couldn't save Teft. He couldn't save his father. He couldn't save himself. He'd pushed too hard, used a grindstone on his soul until it had become paper thin. He'd failed anyway. Those were the only words that mattered, the only true words. I'm not strong enough, he whispered to the angry winds and closed his eyes, letting go of her hand. Dalinar was the storm around Kaladin, and at the same time he wasn't. The Stormfather didn't give Dalinar as much control as he had before, likely fearing that Dalinar would want to push him again. He was right. Dalinar watched Kaladin tumble, lost, no stormlight, eyes closed. It wasn't the bearing of a man who was fighting, nor was it the bearing of someone who rode the winds. It was the bearing of someone who had given up. What do we do? Dalinar asked the Stormfather. We witness. It is our duty. We must help. There is no help, Dalinar. He is too close to the tower's interference to use his powers, and you cannot blow him free of this. Dalinar watched, pained, the rain his tears. There had to be something. The moment between, Dalinar said. When you infuse spheres, you can stop time. Slow it greatly, the Stormfather said, through investiture and connection to the spiritual. But just briefly. Do it, Dalinar said. Give him more time. Venli hummed to agony as the slaughter began. Not of the Radiance, not yet. Of the civilians. As soon as the pursuers' soldiers started toward the helpless Radiance, the watching crowd of humans went insane, led by a few determined souls, including a gruff-looking man with one arm. The humans started fighting, a full-on rebellion of unarmed people against trained soldiers in war form. Venley turned away as the killing began. The humans didn't give up, though. They flooded the space between the war forms and the room with the radiance, blocking the way with their own bodies. Can we prevent this? Venley asked Leshwi, who had settled beside her after being pushed aside by Stormblust. I will need the authority of Raboniel to countermand this particular order, Leshwi said to Abashment. The pursuer has command of law in the tower. I have already sent another of the Heavenly Ones to ask Raboniel. Venli winced at the screams. But Raboniel said these radiants were to be preserved. No longer, Leshwi said. Something happened in the night. Raboniel had needed the radiants for tests she intended to perform, but she had one of them brought to her. And afterward, she said she needed no further tests. The rest are now a liability possibly a danger, should they wake. She looked toward the dying humans, then shied away as some warforms ran past with bloody axes. It is unfortunate, Leshwi said. 
I do not sing to joy in this type of conflict. But we have done it before, and will do it again, in the name of reclaiming our world. Can't we be better? Venley begged to disappointment. Isn't there a way? Leshwe looked at her, cocking her head. Venley had again used one of the wrong rhythms. Venley searched the room, past the anger spren and fear spren. Some of the singer troops weren't joining in the killing. She picked out Rothan and Malal, Leshwe's soldiers. They hesitated and did not join in. Leshwe picked better people than that. Show her, Timber pulsed. Show her, show her, show her. Venley braced herself. Then she drew in stormlight from the spheres in her pocket and let herself begin glowing. Leshwe hummed immediately to destruction and grabbed Venley by the face in a powerful grip. What? she said. What have you done? Kaladin entered the place between moments. He'd met the Stormfather here on that first horrible night when he'd been strung up in the storm. The night when Syl had fought so hard to protect him. This time he drifted in the darkness. No wind tossed him, and the air became impossibly calm, impossibly quiet, as if he were floating alone in the ocean. Why won't you say the words? the Stormfather asked. I've forgotten them, Kaladin whispered. You have not. Will they mean anything if I don't feel them, Stormfather? Can I lie to swear an ideal? Silence, pure, incriminating silence. He wants me, as he wanted Moash, Kaladin said. If he keeps pushing, he'll have me. So I have to go. That is a lie, the Stormfather said. It is his ultimate lie, son of honor. The lie that says you have no choice. The lie that there is no more journey worth taking. He was right. A tiny part of Kaladin, a part that could not lie to himself, knew it was true. What if I'm too tired? Kaladin whispered. What if there's nothing left to give? What if that is why I cannot say your words, Stormfather? What if it's just too much? You would consign my daughter to misery again? Kaladin winced, but it was true. Could he do that to Syl? He gritted his teeth as he began to struggle, began to fight through the nothingness, through the inability to think. He fought through the pain, the agony, still raw, of losing his friend. He screamed, trembled, then sank inward. Too weak, he whispered. There simply wasn't anything left for him to give. It's not enough, Delinar said. He couldn't see in this endless darkness, yet he could feel someone inside it. Two someones, Kaladin and his spren. Storms, they hurt. We need to give them more time, Delinar said. We cannot, the Stormfather said. Respect his frailty and don't force me on this, Delinar. You could break things you do not understand, the consequences of which could be catastrophic. Have you no compassion, Delinar demanded. 
Have you no heart? I am a storm, the storm father said. I chose the ways of a storm. Choose better, then. Delinor searched in the darkness, the infinity. He was full of stormlight in a place where that didn't matter, in a place where all things connected, a place beyond Shadesmar, a place beyond time, a place where— What is that? Delinar asked. That warmth. I feel nothing. Delinar drew the warmth close and understood. This place is where you make the visions happen, isn't it? Delinar asked. Time sometimes moved oddly in those. Yes, the Stormfather said. But you must have connection for a vision. You must have a reason for it, a meaning. It cannot be just anything. Good, Delinar said, forging a bond. What are you doing? Connecting him, Delinar said. Uniting him, the Stormfather rumbled. With what? 108. Moments. For ones so confused, they are somehow brilliant. Musings of L on the first of the final ten days. Kaladin jolted, opening his eyes in confusion. He was in a small tent. What on Roshar? He blinked and sat up, finding himself beside a boy, maybe eleven or twelve years old, in an antiquated uniform. Leather skirt and cap? Kaladin was dressed similarly. What do you think, Dim? The boy asked him. Shall we run? Kaladin scanned the small tent, baffled. Then he heard sounds outside. A battlefield? Yes, men yelling and dying. He stood up and stepped out into the light, blinking against it. A hillside with some stump-weight trees on it. This wasn't the Shattered Plains. I know this place, Kaladin thought. Amaram's colors, men in leather armor. Storms, he was on a battlefield from his youth. The exhaustion had taken a toll on him. He was hallucinating. The surgeon in him was worried at that. A young squad leader walked up, haggard. Storms, he couldn't be older than seventeen or eighteen. That seemed so young to Kaladin now, though he wasn't that much older. The squad leader was arguing with a shorter soldier beside him. We can't hold, the squad leader said. It's impossible. Storms, they're gathering for another advance. The orders are clear, the other man said, barely out of his teens himself. Bright Lord Shalair says we're to hold here. No retreat. To damnation with that man, the squad leader said, wiping his sweaty hair, surrounded by jets of exhaustion spren. Kaladin immediately felt a kinship with the poor fool, given impossible orders and not enough resources. Looking along the ragged battle line, Kaladin guessed the man was in over his head with all the higher-ranked soldiers dead. There were barely enough men to form three squads, and half of those were wounded. This is Amaram's fault, Kaladin said, playing with the lives of half-trained men and outdated equipment, all to make himself look good so he'll get moved to the Shattered Plains. The young squad leader glanced at Kaladin, frowning. You shouldn't talk like that, kid, the man said, running his hand through his hair again. It could get you strung up if the High Marshal hears. The man took a deep breath. Form up the wounded men on that flank. Tell everyone to get ready to hold. And you, 
Messenger boy, grab your friend and get some spears. Gore, put them in front. In front? The other man asked. You're certain, Vorth? You work with what you have, the man said, hiking back the way he had come. Work with what you have. Everything spun around Kaladin, and he suddenly remembered this exact battlefield. He knew where he was. He knew that squad leader's face. How had he not seen it immediately? Kaladin had been here, rushing through the lines, searching for, searching for. He spun on his heel and found a young man, too young, approaching Varth. He had an open, inviting face and too much spring in his step as he approached the squad leader. I'll go with them, sir, Tien said. Fine, go. Tien picked up a spear. He gathered the other messenger boy from the tent and started toward the place where he'd been told to stand. No, Tien, Kaladin said. I can't watch this. Not again. Tien came and took Kaladin's hand, then walked him forward. It's all right, he said. I know you're frightened, but here we can stand together, all of us. Three are stronger than one, right? He held out his spear, and the other boy, who was crying, did the same. Tien, Kaladin said. Why did you do it? You should have stayed safe. Tien turned to him, then smiled. They would have been alone. They needed someone to help them feel brave. They were slaughtered, Kaladin said. So were you. So it was good someone was there to help them not feel so alone as it happened. You were terrified. I saw your eyes. Of course I was. Tian looked at him as the charge began, and the enemy advanced up the hillside. Who wouldn't be afraid? Doesn't change that I needed to be here. For them. Kaladin remembered getting stabbed on this battlefield, killing a man then being forced to watch Tien die. He cringed, anticipating that death. But all went dark. The forest, the tent, the figures all vanished. Except for Tien. Kaladin fell to his knees. Then Tien, poor little Tien, wrapped his arms around Kaladin and held him. It's all right, he whispered. I'm here to help you feel brave. I'm not the child, you see, Kaladin whispered. I know who you are, Cal. Kaladin looked up at his brother, who somehow in that moment was full grown, and Kaladin was a child clinging to him, holding to him as the tears started to fall, as he let himself weep at Tet's death. This is wrong, Kaladin said. I'm supposed to hold you, protect you. And you did, as I helped you. He pulled Kaladin tight. Why do we fight, Cal? Why do we keep going? I don't know, Kaladin whispered. I've forgotten. It's so we can be with each other. They all die, Tien. Everyone dies. So they do, don't they? 
That means it doesn't matter, Kaladin said. None of it matters. See, that's the wrong way of looking at it, Tien held him tighter. Since we all go to the same place in the end, the moments we spend with each other are the only things that do matter. The times we helped each other. Kaladin trembled. Look at it, Cal, Tien said softly. See the colors. If you think letting Teft die is a failure, but all the times you supported him are meaningless, then no wonder it always hurts. Instead, if you think of how lucky you both were to be able to help each other when you were together, well, it looks a lot nicer, doesn't it? I'm not strong enough, Kaladin whispered. You're strong enough for me. I'm not good enough. You're good enough for me. I wasn't there. Tien smiled. You are here for me, Cal. You're here for all of us. And, Kaladin said, tears on his cheeks, if I fail again. You can't, so long as you understand. He pulled Kaladin tight. Kaladin rested his head against Tien's chest, blotting his tears with the cloth of his shirt. Teft believes in you. The enemy thinks he's won. But I want to see his face when he realizes the truth. Don't you? It's going to be delightful. Kaladin found himself smiling. If he kills us, Tien said, he simply dropped us off at a place we were going anyway. We shouldn't hasten it, and it is sad. But see, he can't take our moments, our connection, Kaladin. And those are things that really matter. Kaladin closed his eyes, letting himself enjoy this moment. Is it real? he finally asked. Are you real? Or is this something made by the Stormfather or Wit or someone else? Tien smiled, then pressed something into Kaladin's hand. A small wooden horse. Try to keep track of him this time, Cal. I worked hard on that. Then Kaladin dropped suddenly, the wooden horse evaporating in his hand as he fell. He searched around in the endless blackness. Sil? he called, a pinprick of light weaving around him, but that wasn't her. Sil! Another pinprick, and another, but those weren't her. That was. He reached into the darkness and seized her hand, pulling her to him. She grabbed him, physical in this place and his own size. She held to him and shook as she spoke. I've forgotten the words. I'm supposed to help you, but I can't. I- You are helping, Kaladin said, by being here. He closed his eyes, feeling the storm as they broke through the moment between and entered the real world. Besides, he whispered, I know the words. Say them, Tien whispered. 
I have always known these words. Say it, lad. Do it. I accept it, Stormfather. I accept that there will be those I cannot protect. The storm rumbled, and he felt warmth surrounding him, light infusing him. He heard Syl gasp, and a familiar voice, not the Stormfather's. These words are accepted. We couldn't save Tift, Syl, Kaladin whispered. We couldn't save Tien. But we can save my father. And when he opened his eyes, the sky exploded with a thousand pure lights. 109. Emulsifier. For ones so tarnished, they are somehow bright. Musings of L on the first of the final ten days. Leshwe fell to her knees before Venli, not flying, not hovering, on her knees. Venli knelt as well, as Leshwe still held to her face, but the grip softened. A cool, beautiful light flooded in through the window behind, like a frozen lightning bolt, brighter than any sphere, bright as the sun. What have you done, Venli? Leshwe said. What have you done? I, I swore the first ideal of the radiance, Venli said. I'm sorry. Sorry, Leshwe said. A joy spren burst around her, beautiful, like a blue storm. Sorry? Venli, they've come back to us. They've forgiven us. What? Please, Leshwe said to Longing. Ask your spren. Do they know of an honor spren named Raya? She was my friend once, precious to me. Leshwe had friends among the spren? Storms. Leshwe had lived before the war, when men and singers had been allies. Honor had been the god of the dawn singers. Timber pulsed. She doesn't know Raya, Venli said. But she doesn't know a lot of honor, Spren. She doesn't think any of the old ones survived the human betrayal. Leshwe nodded, humming softly to to one of the old rhythms. My spren, though, Venli said. She has friends who are willing to maybe try again with us. My soul is too long owned by someone else for that, Leshwe said. Venli glanced toward the fighting. The sudden light hadn't halted them. If anything, it had made the pursuers' soldiers more determined as they attacked. They seemed to enjoy the company of the anger spren and pain spren. Some of the humans had wrestled away weapons, but most of them fought unarmed, trying desperately to keep the radiance safe. I don't know what to do, Venli whispered. I keep wavering between two worlds. I'm too weak, mistress. 
Leshwe rose into the air, then ripped her side sword from its sheath. It's all right, voice. I know the answer. She flew directly into the fight and began pulling away the soldiers, shouting for them to halt. When they didn't, Leshwe started swinging. And in seconds, her troops had joined her. A singer fought singer. Sibling, Navani whispered, clinging to the pillar. What is happening? Why do you make that rhythm? Navani? The voice that responded was soft as a baby's breath on her skin, almost imperceptible. I hear this rhythm. I hear it in the darkness. Why? Where is it coming from? There. Navani was given an impression, a vision that overlaid her senses. A place in the tower, the atrium. Dark from a storm blowing outside? Down here, deep within the basement, she hadn't realized one was going on. Fighting. People were fighting, struggling, dying. Navani squinted at the vision. Her pain was fading, though a part of her felt that was a bad sign. But she could see, a fused, flying a foot off the ground, fighting beside someone infused with void light. A regal? And those were humans with them, standing together, side by side. What are they doing? Navani asked. Fighting other singers, I think. It's so dark. Why do they fight each other? What's in that room they defend? Navani whispered. That is where they put the fallen radiance. Emulsifier, Navani whispered. What? A joined purpose. Humans and singers. Honor and odium. They're fighting to protect the helpless, sibling. The vision faded, but before it did, Navani spotted Relaine, the singer who worked with Bridge Four. He's there, Navani said, then found herself coughing. Each convulsion made the pain flare up again. Sibling, he's there. Too far, they whispered. Too late. Outside in the hallway, Moash hacked at Raboniel's left arm, making it fall limp. She clawed at him with her remaining arm, hissing as the hand with the dagger dropped its weapon and dangled uselessly. Take me, Navani whispered to the sibling. Bond me. No, the sibling said, voice faint. Why? You aren't worthy, Navani. Relaine heard the shouting long before they reached the atrium. The guards holding him attuned anxiety and hurried him and Dabit faster, though Relaine remained optimistic. That noise had to be from Kaladin's fight with the pursuer. Relaine was, therefore, utterly shocked when they walked into the atrium to find a full-on civil war. Singers fought against singers, and a group of humans stood side by side with one of the forces. Relaine's guards went running, perhaps to find some kind of authority figure to sort out this nonsense, leaving him and Dabit. But the fray ended quickly, and the side with the humans won. 
Few of the singers seemed to want to fight Fused, and so the troops fled, leaving the dead behind them. What? Dabbad asked softly, the two of them hanging back in one of the side corridors where some human civilians, brave enough to watch but not skilled enough to join, clustered. Relaine made a quick assessment, then attuned the rhythm of hope. Five of the heavenly ones and about twenty regals under their command had turned upon the soldiers of the pursuer. The other heavenly ones seemed to have refused to join either side and had retreated up higher into the atrium. That was Leshwi hovering near the front of the side that had won, holding a sword coated in orange singer blood. She seemed to be in charge. A good number of people, both human and singer, were down and bleeding. It was a mess. They need field surgeons, Relaine said. Come on. He and Dabbit raced in, and, as Kaladin had trained them, started a quick triage. People began helping, and in minutes Relaine had them all binding wounds for both singers and humans, regardless of which side they'd fought on. Liren had supplies in the infirmary, fortunately, and when Dabbit returned with them, he brought Hesina, who seemed rattled by the fighting. It was a few minutes before Berlain got an explanation. Liren had been taken? Kaladin had given chase? Berlain attuned the lost. No wonder Hasina looked like she'd been through a storm. Still, she seemed eager to have something to do and took over leading the triage. That let Berlain step away for a breather and wipe his hands. Some humans who had seen it all gave him scattered explanations. The pursuer had ordered the slaughter of helpless radiants and both humans and singers had resisted his army. Before Relaine could go demand answers from Venley, several gruff human men approached him. He recognized them from the sessions Kaladin had been doing, helping them with trauma. They'd been forced to pick up weapons again, the poor Kremlings. Yes? Relaine asked. They led him to a body placed reverently beside the wall, the eyes burned out. Teft. Relaine fell to his knees as Dabid joined him, letting out a quiet whimper, anguish spread surrounding them. They knelt together, heads bowed. Relaine sang the Song of the Fallen, a song for a dead hero. It seemed the plan hadn't gone off too well for them either. Lift? he asked. She's in the infirmary, Dabid whispered, unconscious, legs dead from a blade. Looks like someone hit her hard on the head. She is bleeding. I tried to give her stormlight. Nothing happened. Relaine attuned mourning. Lift could heal others, but, like with Kaladin and Teft, her internal healing wasn't working. So much for waking the radiance. He bowed his head for Teft, then left him there. Let the dead rest. It was their way and he wished to be able to give the man a proper sky burial. Teft had been a good person, one of the best. Behind him, other matters drew Relaine's attention. The humans and singers were already squabbling. You need to submit, Leshwe was saying, hovering above them in her imperious fused way. I will explain to Roboniel that the soldiers were uncontrolled and didn't obey my orders. And you think she'll let us walk? One of the human women shouted. We need to get out of here right now. If I let you go, Leshwi said, it will seem that I am in rebellion. We can contain this if you submit. You're not in rebellion? One of the men demanded. 
What was that, then? We ain't obeying one of you again, another bellowed. Ever! Shouts from both sides rose as singers ordered the people not to argue with one of the fused. Relaine turned from one group to the other, then attuned determination and wiped the makeup from his tattoo. He strode out between the groups. Field medicine wasn't the only thing Bridge Four had taught. Listen up, he shouted to confidence. All of you! Remarkably, they fell silent. Relaine did his best Teft impersonation as he turned to the humans. You all know me. I'm Bridge Four. I know you don't like me, but are you willing to trust me? The humans grumbled, but most of them nodded, prompted by Norrell. Relaine turned toward the singers. You all, he barked to confidence, absolutely committed treason. You acted against Odium's wishes, and he will seek retribution for that. You're as good as dead. And you fused? You're in for an eternity of torture. Fortunately, you have two people here who can guide you, listeners from a people who escaped his control. So if you want to survive, you're going to listen to me. Leshwe folded her arms, but then muttered, Fine. The other heavenly ones seemed willing to follow her lead. Benley rushed over, and she was infused with the deep violet light of void light far more so than an ordinary regal. She glowed more, in fact, than a fused. What are you? Relaine demanded. A radiant, she said to consolation. Kind of. I can use void light to power my abilities so they work in the tower. Figures, Relaine grumbled. Collects breath. I wait years, then you, of all people, grab a spren first. Maybe that was too much, Teft. Anyway, it explains how you got lift out. We need to get moving. Odium won't stand for a rebellion among his own. So you singers are going to come with us. We're going to grab the Radiance and we're going to carry them out onto the plateau, where we'll escape via the Oath Gates to the Shattered Plains. That puts us in the human's power, Leshwe said. I'll get you out of it. Relaine said. After we're all safe, understood? Gather up our wounded, grab those radiants, and let's get going. Before Raboniel knows there was a rebellion, I want all involved parties, human and singer, out of this tower. Go! They started moving, trusting that he knew what he was saying, which he wasn't certain he did. Transporting a bunch of unconscious people would be slow, and there was a high storm outside. Relaine, Benley said to Awe, you gave orders to a fused. He shrugged. It's all about an air of authority. It's more than that, she said. How? I had good teachers, Relaine said, though he was a little surprised himself. He was a spy, used to staying back, letting others lead while he watched. Today, though, there hadn't been anyone else. And having been rejected by both sides, he figured he was an outsider, and therefore as close to a neutral party as there could be in this conflict. Everyone worked together to move the unconscious radiance and the wounded. 
Even Lushwe and the five other heavenly ones each carried a wounded soldier. Relaine spent the time checking the balconies up above. The dozens of heavenly ones who hadn't joined the battle had now vanished, carrying word to Raboniel, undoubtedly, or marshalling their personal forces to stop this rebellion. Once everyone was together, Relaine waved for them to follow as he started the hike out. Venley hurried up beside him. How are we going to work the oath gate? she whispered. I know the mechanism, Relaine said. I assume we can use your blade to figure it out. Venley hurried at his side as they entered a corridor. My blade? You told me you cut lift out of her cell with a shard blade. I wondered why they let you have one instead of giving it to a fused, but now I can piece it together. Yours is a living, radiant blade, which can work the oath gates. I guess your void light lets you summon it? Benley hummed to anxiety. I don't have a blade, Relaine. But I was lying. I used my powers to get her out. Timber says I'm a long way from earning my own blade. Damnation. We'll figure something out, he said. Right now, we need to keep moving. <laughs>